Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may return to your seats. Remain standing if you would for just a moment. We are so honored to have one of the greatest teachers of the Word of God here with us. And um, he is no stranger to this church. He has, for, uh, believe, uh, man, uh, three, four, maybe five years, he's, he's come every year to teach. And um, every time he comes and every time he teaches, it is always life-changing. And uh, we need the teaching of the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? And so without anything else to do, we're going to hear a word from the Lord today. Amen. I'm so thankful. Anybody excited to hear the word of the Lord? Let's welcome Brother Woodward all the way from New Brunswick, Canada. Amen. As he comes to bring the word to us. Good morning, everybody. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Jesus is so real. And he is so real in this service this morning. I am so grateful to be with you. I know you're still standing. If you would remain that way just for a moment, and I'll get right to my privilege today of preaching the word of the Lord to you. This is a day of prophetic destiny for this church. It is not just an offering. It is a seed of faith sown in the ground of this community in every life that has been changed and in every life that is yet to be changed. And if you are grateful for what God has done in your life and in your family, I'd like you to lift up a great shout of praise to the Lord. What a great thing it is to belong to the kingdom of God, to be numbered among the people of God. There's no greater privilege than that. No greater privilege than that. It is just such a high privilege. And uh, I know many of you have already filled these out and you've brought them and we're going to bring the rest at the end. And I just need to keep this close because this is a day of prophetic destiny there. It even coordinates, doesn't it? Doesn't that look good? Amen. I'm so glad to be here. Um, so grateful for your pastor. What a great man of God he is. And we get to uh, be together in different places around the country, and uh, I just kind of chase him around. I preached a revival with him last week in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and didn't even get to see him. He preached Thursday night. I came in, preached Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, flew back home. He preached Sunday night. So he just kind of hit the beginning and the end. I was the baloney in the middle of that sandwich. <laughs> and uh, it was wonderful. I just love Pastor Aaron. I love his precious godly wife, Sister Cindy Bounds. What a great lady of faith and of God. And these stellar young people that they're raising. I mean, goodness, when you talk about Lakin and Jillian and Sawyer and Finn, these are wonderful young people, and I'm privileged just to know them. And, uh, and my nephew Dylan is here today, and we've never had a privilege to do worship leading and preaching together, so this is great. I love Dylan and his brother. Um, 
I do have a word from the Lord today for this church. Um, a very specific word. Um, I did not know I would be preaching this to you until, um, until late last night. Um, Pastor and I were texting about one of these verses about two, two and a half weeks ago. And I'm a slow learner. It still never clicked. And then somebody called me about one of these verses last week, last Wednesday, and it still never clicked. And then I'm just a slow learner. And I got here yesterday and I was getting ready to preach something else tomorrow, to, today, and, and um, it still never clicked. And then finally, I think God got through my thick skull. And I'm grateful that he did because uh, it's, just, it's just right. And I'm thankful. Um, would you lift up your hands one final time before we're seated? Would you lift up your voice much higher than your fingertips? Would you give God great praise and honor and glory? God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the footprint, for the kingdom that this church has made in this community, in this county, in this state, and in this world. I thank you, God, for godly leadership and for great saints of God. And I thank you for the purpose that binds us together for your kingdom. Now speak your word, Jesus, in this room. Minister in the ways that only you can. Fix what only you can fix. Heal what only you can heal do what only you can do accomplish what only you can accomplish release what only you can release in the name of Jesus in this service and in this church today in Jesus name in Jesus name amen you may be seated it has been mere hours since the culmination of 20 years of effort and Israel is in the middle of a celebration to end all celebrations. King Solomon has led them in dedicating a glorious temple to their glorious God. And Solomon has prayed for this nation from on top of a brass scaffolding. And in this one festival, they have offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep in sacrifices of celebration in a week-long feast of tabernacles. Two times the glory of God has filled that Old Testament Jewish temple to such an extent that the priests literally had to stop ministering as the people just basked in the presence of God. And I would pause to say that if that could happen in an Old Testament building dedicated to God, it certainly should happen often in New Testament buildings that are dedicated to God, that we just respond to God's presence. That night, Solomon returned to his palace for some much-deserved rest, and God woke him up with this message, 2 Chronicles 7 and 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and he said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. I have chosen this place. Someone shout this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain or if I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence upon among my people. In other words, if the worst 
case scenario unfolds, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made, someone shout, in this place. For now God said, I have chosen and sanctified this house. Someone shout, this house. Someone say, God's house. That my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. I, I want to just take a little detour here. Um, take your fingers and just do this, would you? Three fingers, just like that. The 21st letter of the Hebrew alphabet is called the Sheen. Psalm 119 is divided into 22 different sections. Each contains eight verses. And if you look in a classic King James Bible English edition, you'll see one of these little squiggly Hebrew letters over every section of eight verses. And if you look at Psalm 119, verse 161, you'll see the sheen because every one of those eight verses in that section begins with that letter, if you could read it in Hebrew. But that's not really important. Here's what's important. The sheen stands high among all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet because that letter represents not one, but two names of God. El Shaddai, which is God Almighty, the all-sufficient, unlimited one, and Shalom, which means God, our peace. That little letter, just do that again, would you please? That's the sheen. Everyone say the sheen. Now, if you went and checked with the old rabbis, Hasidic thought suggests that the sheen looks like a man or woman in the proper position for praying. The middle prong of that letter is their head. The outer two prongs of the letter are their uplifted hands. I know you may have come to the anchor and you think, well, wow, this is just a really excitable, lively, enthusiastic church. This is their style of worship. Can I tell you, when we lift up our hands and begin to worship God, that's not our style. That's biblical worship. That's ancient worship. That's powerful worship. Something is released when God's people lift up their hands and their voices and their words that you just cannot describe. Uh, and that's exactly what happened in Exodus 17 and verse 11 in Israel's battle against the Amalekites. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. It was so important when Moses held up his hands over that battlefield from his position on the mountain. It was so important that he not let down his hands because every time he got tired and let down his hands, the enemy just surged forward. And so they actually, Joshua sent two young men up to the mountain and said, hold up the elder's hands like that. You know why? Because when Moses held up his hands, he was casting the shadow of the name of God on the battlefield below. And when the name of God, even in shadow, touched the army on the battlefield below, Israel pushed forward. Oh, my, 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 my. 
You don't understand what kind of ancient worship you're tapping into. That's the scripture pastor and I were talking about two and a half weeks ago. Now I'm a slow learner, but I am caught up right now. Would you lift up your hands and would you lift up your voice when you magnify the name of Jesus? When apostolic people lift up their hands, you're forming the name of God, that old Hebrew letter that represents his name. God the unlimited one. God the all-powerful one. El Shaddai. When you form his name, you're lifting him up with your posture. Oh my goodness. And it's here today. The presence of God is here today. Now just one more place. The sheen is also seen in the valleys which surround the ancient city of Jerusalem. If you could take away all the buildings and all the modern stuff and just look at a topographical map, the city of Jerusalem, there are three mountains, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, and the Mount of Olives. And because there's three mountains, they're, they're distinguished, they're delineated by three valleys, the Hinnom Valley on the left and the Tyropean or the Cheesemakers Valley in the middle and then the Kidron Valley on the right. <laughs> That's amazing. Because according to Deuteronomy 16 and 11, God chose Jerusalem as the place to put his name. <laughs> Do you understand that God literally when he created this planet and he knew where the city of Jerusalem would be and he knew where the old temple would be and he knew where Calvary would be, he reached down and literally carved his initial in the top of Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem is built. God said, I'm going to put my name in this place forever. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what opposition happens. It doesn't matter what enemy attacks. It doesn't matter what war or plague breaks out. It can't touch my purpose. It can't destroy my plan. Because I chose before any of that bad stuff happened to put my name there forever. Oh, my goodness. I got one more for you. God chose to put his name somewhere else and because his name is on this place, it doesn't matter what the devil would like to break loose or unleash or do against the church, God has put his name on this place. This is a day of prophetic destiny for this church. It's not just about an offering. It's about a vision. It's not just about money. It's about souls. It's not just about one Sunday service. It's about the future until Jesus comes. My goodness. Deuteronomy 16, 11, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God. When you get in contact with the name of God, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to rejoice. That's what you're supposed to do. Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and maidservant and Levite in thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you. Everybody's supposed to rejoice in the place. Somebody shout the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. Somebody say this place. Somebody say this house. Somebody say God's house. <laughs> Jerusalem... It's a nice place, but it really had no claim to fame other than the fact that Jerusalem was God's chosen place. Jerusalem had no great grand river frontage like Babylon. 
Jerusalem had no great harbor like Alexandria. Jerusalem had no military might like Rome. Jerusalem wasn't even on the main roads. But Jerusalem was located high on a mountain called Moriah. And that was the place that God chose to put his name, carving his initial in the top of that hill. Long before Solomon ever built a temple there and dedicated that structure and prayed that prayer that we love to read, God's attention was already on that hill. Go with me for a little tour through Scripture. Just going to take a few minutes this morning. Genesis 22, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And God gave Abraham some strange instructions because Abraham had come out of Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan nation. Abraham came from a people who sacrificed children to their pagan gods, to their idols. And God gave Abraham a test. God wanted to see if Abraham loved him, the true God, the only God, the, the, the living, moving God, if he loved him as much as he used to love his idols. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, somebody say, the place, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Verse 4, And then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place, somebody say, the place, afar off. And Abraham said unto his young man, You abide here with the donkey, I and the lad. We're going to go yonder up that mountain and we're going to worship and come again to you. That is the first time the word worship ever appears in the Bible. And the very first time worship ever appears in the Bible, Abraham is carrying a knife and he's about ready to give to God his only son, his son of promise, the, 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 the son that he believed God for, the son that he held on for, and that son of the covenant. Abraham's about to give it to God and sacrifice Isaac as far as he knows. Worship costs us something. If you want to please God, it will cost you something. But it's not an expense. It's an investment in your future. And so Abraham goes up to the mountain with Isaac. And Isaac asks him this question. Because Isaac is probably a young man by now, not just a little boy. Isaac is not helpless. Isaac is of age. He's old enough to carry the wood on his shoulder for a whole sacrifice on an altar. And they get up to the top of the mountain. They, they, they build an altar out of stones. And Isaac has the wood and they lay the wood there. And, and, and they've got fire. They've probably brought coals from their camp, wherever that is. And, and they've got a knife for the sacrifice. And Isaac looks at his father and he says, um, We got everything, but where's the sacrifice? And you can only imagine what must have happened and transpired in that moment. But Abraham, the spirit of prophecy, came on that old patriarch. And he looked back at that boy who has just clued in that he's the one going to be laid on the altar. And he's the one that his dad is going to lift up a, a knife. And he sees it in his father's eyes. His father is so dedicated to God that he'll do whatever God asks him to do. And Isaac, when he asks that question, his daddy looks back at him and the spirit of prophecy hits that old man. And Abraham says, my son, 
God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. Oh my goodness. He didn't probably know what he was saying at that moment, but Abraham just reached into the stream of prophecy because here's what happened. One day, a couple thousand years later, on the very same day of the Jewish calendar, on the very same spot, on the very same mountain, Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross and died, and God did provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. Genesis 22 and 14. And so Abraham, after God did that, gave a substitutionary sacrifice. Abraham called the name of that place. Somebody say, that place, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. This is the place where the Lord has provided. I believe on that mountain, on that day, Abraham saw a vision of Calvary. Because the Bible tells me in Galatians 3 verse 8 that the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. When in the world did Abraham have the gospel preached unto him? Let's go, uh, media team, go to John 8 and 56. Here's what Jesus said. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. The Jews looked back at Jesus in John chapter 8 and they said, you're not yet 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus looked back at them and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you understand that God revealed himself on that mountain? Abraham saw a vision of the ultimate sacrifice before Abraham ever left Ur of the Chaldees to journey to a land that he couldn't see following a God that he'd never seen. Jesus said, I was there. I set his GPS and sent him on his way. That's not the only time you see that mountain in Scripture. You see it also in the book of 2 Samuel. And David, the beloved king of Israel, he's had a pretty good reign, but he's far from perfect. David has sinned, as we heard in first word this morning, David has sinned. Be not only in the issue with Bathsheba and his affair, but in having her husband put to death. And David hasn't been perfect, but at the end of his reign, he does something that to us wouldn't seem to be a big deal. He took a census and he numbered the people. But God had told all the kings of Israel, don't you ever take a census. Don't you ever number the people because I don't want you trusting in your numbers against their numbers. See, the Bible still says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And so David sinned by numbering the people, and, and he was given three choices of punishment by God. And uh, here they are, 2 Samuel 24, verse 13. So Gad, the prophet, came to David, and he told him, and he said to, to, to David, you got a choice, seven years of famine, or fleeing three months before your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of pestilence in the land. Now you advise, and I'll take that back to God. 
And David said to Gad, I'm in a great strait. This is my fault. The people of God are going to be punished because of my sin. But here's my choice. Here's my selection. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. I'd rather have three days of pestilence from God than those other options, and here's why. For God's mercies are great. I know God. And even though I've messed up, I know God. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He's a restoring God. So don't let me fall into the hand of man. Man's judgmental. Man will try to take me out. Man will try to humiliate me. Let me fall into the hand of God because his mercies are new every morning. And so one of his subjects, Arona, Ornan the Jebusite, he comes to the king and he realizes that David wants to make a sacrifice. Now, sacrifices were made on the high point of mountains in Bible times. David is right there in the same place and he looks up and there's this flat threshing floor on the top of a mountain named Moriah. It just happens to be the very same place where Abraham and Isaac, they had that sacrifice and there was a substitution made. And so David says to Ornan the Jebusite, um, I want to take that threshing floor of yours, that flat spot on the top of Mount Moriah, and I want to offer a sacrifice to God because this is my fault. And so Ornan the Jebusite, Arona, he says to his king, Oh, you're my king. I love you, David. You're my leader. I'll give you the threshing floor. And here's what David said. 2 Samuel 24 and 24, the king said unto Arona, No, I will surely buy it of thee at a price. I will not offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought that threshing floor for full price and he offered a sacrifice on it and the plague was stayed and it was right on the same mountaintop where Abraham had met with God. That's where David offered a sacrifice to God. It cost David something. Let me tell you, a thousand years after David lived and died, there was a sacrifice offered on the top of that mountain that cost heaven something. When heaven wanted to forgive us of our sins and restore us to God, it wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy. But heaven gave its best. And then, we've already read it, Solomon he built that glorious temple and dedicated it and God's spirit flowed into that service and into that feast of tabernacles and the people couldn't even stand to worship God. They just had to stop everything they were doing. Second Chronicles 3 and 1, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, the temple at Jerusalem. Where was that, Solomon? Oh, it's in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David, his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Can I tell you, God had set his initial. He'd carved his name into the top of that mountain. And that's why he met Abraham there. And that's why he accepted David's sacrifice there. And that's why he told Solomon to build a temple there. Because a thousand years after Solomon, God would robe himself in a temple of flesh and come to that very same mountaintop, that very same city of Jerusalem. Oh, my goodness. But you know how it is with human beings. We're fickle and we're frail and we're fragile sometimes. 
And sometimes we mess up and make horrible mistakes and sin and take terrible wrong turns with our lives. And that's what Israel did. And so long after David and Solomon were in the grave, Israel backslid and Israel was taken into captivity. And the city of Jerusalem was besieged and then conquered and it fell. And there was an old prophet named Jeremiah called by God. He tried to beg those people, please turn back to God before you get in trouble. Please turn back to God before the enemy sweeps in. And he ministered all these decades and he preached to them. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because there was a lot to weep about watching Israel backslide. And finally it comes to the year 587 B.C. and Jerusalem falls and the city is on fire and the temple is being destroyed and the people are being taken as prisoners and they're being killed and misused and abused. And the false prophets are trying to tickle people's ears. It's going to be okay and Jeremiah knows it's not going to be okay. And he has... This ministry, it goes for years, and he just keeps saying, you got to repent. you got to turn back to God. you got to, oh, when you disobey the word of God, we heard it in first word, you got to turn around, you got to repent. you got to come back to God. Nobody listens. And history tells us that Jeremiah, on the day that Jerusalem fell, on the day that they broke through the walls and burned down the temple and killed the people and took some of them screaming and crying away as prisoners, Tradition tells us that Jeremiah left the city, went just outside the north city wall, and he crawled in a little hole in an outcropping of rock. It was the highest point on Mount Moriah. They still call it to this day Jeremiah's Grotto. It's a cave. And he crawled into that cave, and he watched his beloved city being destroyed on the worst day of his life. It was as bad as it could possibly get. And he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He had no idea that 600 years later, another man would come who had wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus said in Luke 13, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets, you stone those that are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you, all your children together, like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you wouldn't listen, you wouldn't let me do it. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And then Jesus was taken to a lonely little outcropping of rock just outside the north wall of the city of Jerusalem, Pocked with holes. In fact, they used to call it the place of the skull because it looked like two eye sockets and, and a mouth. And we still refer to it that way today. Jeremiah crawled inside a cave on the day that Jerusalem was destroyed. On the day that the worst case scenario unfolded. And on that horrible day, he penned a lament. It's called the book of lamentations in your Bible. It's destruction and devastation everywhere and it's all there for I don't know if I'm preaching to somebody this morning that you've got yourself into some messes in your life and you can try to blame your spouse or your parents or somebody else, but you know in your heart of hearts it was your decision that got you in the mess. Let me tell you what Jeremiah saw on the worst day of his life. Right in the smack dab middle of that book of Lamentations, he looks up to heaven, he catches the one shaft of prophetic sunlight, and here's 
here's what he writes in chapter 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because even on the worst day of my life, his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. God, great is your faithfulness. When my world is upside down and on fire, I can still catch one little shaft of sunlight. God, your mercies are new every morning. Oh my goodness. Is it a coincidence that Abraham sacrificed Isaac and a substitution was made at the very last moment? Is it a coincidence that it happened on that place where God put his name? Is it a coincidence that David offered a costly sacrifice on the place where God put his name? Is it a coincidence that the temple was built on the place that God carved his initial in the top of a mountainside? Is it a coincidence that Jeremiah mourned over the city of Jerusalem in a cave on the highest little point on Mount Moriah? I don't think so. And this isn't a coincidence either because God spoke to his people way back in Deuteronomy. I'm going to put my name there forever. And he promised Solomon, I don't care what happens. I don't care if it's pestilence or war. I don't care if it's backsliding or rebellion. If my people, which are called by my name, will just humble themselves. You see, Solomon, here's what you got to remember. My eyes are watching this place. My ear is listening for any word of prayer that comes from this place because I put my name there forever. And then it comes to the Gospels in the New Testament. And Jesus, God robed in flesh, is taken, it's not a coincidence, he's taken up that winding road to the highest point of Mount Moriah just outside the existing walls of the city in that day. And he's taken to that place where Jeremiah wept, the place of the skull. You're talking such a little piece of land. These are not miles and miles away. They're just yards away from each other where Abraham was, where David was, where the temple was, where Jeremiah was, where Jesus was crucified. And in John 19, 30, as he hung on the cross in that place, somebody say, that place. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost it is finished it stands finished it always will be finished on that day all the streams of prophecy converged on that old rugged cross and salvation's price was paid That's why you can be delivered from drugs. That's why you can be delivered from the life of an alcoholic. That's why any addiction can be broken. That's why any chains on your life or your mind or your home can be loose today. It is finished. It stands finished. It always will be finished. There's even a prophetic word from the prophet Ezekiel that in the future, 
There will be a river flowing out of that mountain. It's really going to happen in the future. There's no river flowing out of Mount Moriah today, but God spoke it through the prophet Ezekiel that someday there's going to be a water, a river that will flow out of the door of God's temple on that mountain. And here's what Ezekiel said in 47 and 9. It shall come to pass that everything that liveth which moveth wherever the river shall come it will live there'll be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come thither and they shall be healed and everything shall live whither the river cometh now that's literally going to happen but let me tell you years before that happens there is a supernatural river it flows from Calvary it's a river not of water but of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and everywhere the river goes there's life everywhere the river goes there's deliverance everywhere the river goes there's healing oh my oh my my somebody do this please that little letter that represents the name of God God carved it in the top of that mountain and he said I'm putting my name here forever you know what that means, Satan? You know what that means, hell? That means you can do your worst. You can fight as hard as you want. You can try to ensnare God's people with all kinds of sin and rebellion, but God has destiny written over this mountaintop. So what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn it around and use it for good because he put his name there forever. Be seated. And I'm a slow learner. I already told you. I, I just sometimes don't get it. I'm sitting over there during first word. Don't text on your phone like I do during first word. Don't, it's not, just not nice. But it hit me. I thought, oh my goodness. I drove by it this morning. Since pastor showed me. One of the last times I was here, since he showed me when I drive by it, I always say, God, that's the place. <laughs> Always do. There's destiny written over that property. It hit me this morning. You got that picture back there? <laughs> do you, do you, I'm sorry. Now, it's just kind of playing, and this isn't in the Bible, but it's in me. I can't get it out. You know what this is? It's a double Y, that's what it is. You know what that is? It's a place of double outpouring, double blessing, double harvest. That's what that is. Don't be a slow learner like me. God is doing something at the anchor. God is doing something in Zanesville. You've already seen multiplied numbers of people receive the Holy Ghost on that spot. You've already seen multiplied numbers of people being baptized in Jesus' name because of crusades on that spot. Do you understand what God is up to? This is the place where the Lord has placed his name. Oh. I wish somebody would lift up a victorious, joyful, triumphant shout to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. This is a day of prophetic destiny for the anchor. Stay standing. I just got one more. That's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
We just need to do that one more time. Lift up your hands and your voice. Lift up your words and your praise. Yes, 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 yes. I just got one more. I just got one more. Jeremiah 31 and 33, that old prophet that wept so much, he said this. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, after the devil's done his worst, after hell has fired every shot, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You got bandwidth for one more? The ancient rabbis tell us that you can see the sheen carved in the valleys that divide the left and right ventricles of the human heart. When you were formed in your mother's womb, God engraved his name on your physical heart. He's just been waiting for you to join the physical and the spiritual. Can you imagine what kind of power is unleashed when apostolic people who from their moment of Perth have God's name carved on their physical heart and then they start a relationship with God and they go down in water in the covenant name of Jesus in the only saving name of Jesus and then they're filled with his spirit can you imagine what kind of power is loose when those people lift up holy hands and begin to worship God that power is here this morning that power is here for you. It is God's house offering Sunday. It's more than just an offering. It's a declaration of destiny. Let me tell you something. God's here to meet somebody today because God wants to write his name not just on your physical heart but on your spiritual heart. You say, you don't understand, Pastor Raymond. I've done some bad stuff. I've been in some bad places with some bad people. My life's upside down and it's a mess. You do not know the state of my marriage, my home, my kids, or my mind. You don't get it. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what the devil has done. God put his name on your heart waiting for you to turn to him from the moment you were born. I don't think we're going to sing right now, but give me a keyboard player just to play something. I want you to take the hand of somebody next to you on either side, and I want you to lift those hands together like a big choir of worshipers in this place. And now I want you to do the most important thing. I want you to lift up your voice. I want you to lift up your words. I want you to lift up your praise. Jesus is here to meet somebody. You can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost this morning. You can be changed this morning. You can repent of your sins and God will cleanse your life this morning. You can be healed in your body this morning. You can be delivered from every kind of addiction this morning. You ready, Anchor? If you haven't already brought your God's house offering, we're going to bring those. 
But there's another kind of offering we're given this morning. It's not just finance to fund a vision and to prepare for a destiny, but it's given our lives, given ourselves, given our everything to God. You don't even have to be a member of this church to come to this altar this morning. This altar is open to everybody, just like that place that God put his name on Mount Moriah. Guess what? God has put his name on this church. And the future so bright and powerful with the promises of God. I'm just vibrating with excitement this morning for you. Would you step out of where you're standing very, very quickly? They've made lots of space up here for us to move into this altar. Everybody included, nobody excluded, because we're going to pray blessing on God's people, blessing on your homes and your finances and your marriage and your kids. So everybody that can, as quick as you can, when you come, come out of the aisles and make room for everybody coming behind you. Come as close as you can. When you get here, don't wait. Lift up your hands and your voice and just worship while everybody else is getting in position. Your hands are wonderful. It's good to lift your hands, but there's one thing that's more important than your hands. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So lift up your voice when you get here and begin to worship God. Keep coming. Those of you that are in the aisles or right in front of them, just take another couple of steps and make room for everybody around the altar. Yes, 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 yes. Sore Just one last thing. Church, I need your help. Ministers, I need your help. The Bible says God turned the captivity of Job when Job prayed for his friends. So right now, I want you to connect with somebody. You might not even know their name. That's okay. I want you to connect with at least one or two people. Take them by the hand or put your hand on their shoulder. This is not a little sleepy bedtime, almost dropping off to sleep prayer. This is a prayer of vision and destiny. This is a prayer of healing and outpouring. This is a prayer for the miraculous. This is a prayer for God to show up in your home. Lift up your voice and pray right now in the name of Jesus upon the authority of the word of God. Jesus, I pray right now over this church that you would lose signs and wonders and miracles and harvest, that you would lose deliverance, that you would lose outpouring. This is the place God has put his name. You are the place God has put his name. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.